Um, welcome everybody. Um, yeah, so I, I get the, um, the privilege tonight to share where in the series at the moment, where we are studying the basics of faith um, over nine weeks, and our question this week is, what is the cross? Um, and so what we're doing is, because a lot of the people are in small groups here, um, quite a large portion of this community, we do the kind of the big head knowledge stuff in our small groups. So at the moment, our Sundays are kind of more stories, more testimony. Um, so if you're kind of like one of those kind of theology buffs, then um, you're probably one, going to want to pick up a guide and listen to the podcast. Tonight we'll touch on some of those things, but more I want to talk about testimony, how this has actually looked in my life, and I think Rose did a really great job of that last week, eh? Well, yeah, I'm going to share some stories tonight. Um, I, I've been up at um, Ihumata for the last few days, so my head is just clouded with that experience at the moment. And as I went to write this today, it was like everything ended up being a story from that. I've dialed back a little bit, because you guys did not come on that journey with me. <laughs> um, but um, but I, I did, um, I noticed recently a few of us have been reading poems here. So I thought I might read a little poem, which kind of summarises that experience for me. Is that cool? Um, just to kick off. Um, A younger version of me once said, but I wasn't there. That was 150 years ago. I wasn't there the day they filled the prisons with the men of Parihaka. I wasn't alive when they took the gardens of Ihumata. And this is true. I wasn't there. But now, older, I am here. And the prisons are still full. And the gardens are still empty. And I wonder if one day my grandchildren will still be saying, but I wasn't there. Because as I walked past the pre-packaged aisles of a supermarket in Mangarei, and as I stood in the shadow of the Maunga Te Pukatapapa Hape, I still saw no fruit on the shelves or in the ground. And I still saw police patrolling the perimeter of both the supermarket and the whenua. (coughs) Yes, indeed, we are here now. And the prisons are still full. And the gardens are still empty. And I pray to Iumatua Kore that my children will never say, but we weren't there. I think for me, a theme that has come up, both at um, Ihumato and as we've been on this catechism journey, has been um, what Jesus says to Nicodemus, this learned religious scholar, he says, you must be born again. He's saying to an intelligent man, you must start and learn your religion, your spirituality all over again. And um, I think I've had almost three rebirths in my life. I don't think there's just one. There was the one where I realised that Jesus deeply loved me, And I was reborn. And then there was the one where I realised that that God wasn't far off, but that he was muddy, bloody, dusty, radical in this world, and that he called me to the same. And then I I feel like this year in Te Maori, there is another rebirth happening of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this nation, in this place. And um, and one of the things I think people, um, like Nicodemus, will often say is, I've heard it before. And recently that has become like one of the phrases I hate the most in the world. Like it's just as when, when you like, and you often get it when you come to these things that we've talked about hundreds of times before. You start to talk about who is Jesus, what is the cross, what is the Holy Spirit. We go, I've done that. Well, do our lives reflect that transformation? Do they reflect what the cross has done? I think it's one of the most dangerous things we can say in the world is I know that stuff. Because there is no end of richness to exploring the cross. There is no end of richness to exploring who God is 
And thinkers spent their whole lives, you know, like big thinkers, way smarter people than you and I, pondering the same one or two mysteries of who God was. And we kind of like eat the idea of the cross like drive through and then go, yeah, I've had that. I don't need to have it again. No, 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 no. This is what this time is about, is that we would be born again. So for some of us, I think God invites us, just humble yourself. And maybe I don't know. Or maybe the fact that after 2,000 years, we still haven't come to a final point on all of this means that there's enough depth in it for us to think about it for another nine weeks. Yeah. I'm not having a go at anyone here. I've heard myself say these words before too. You know, I've done that. I know that. I just want to say to some of us here, like the reason that we are talking about these topics we're talking about, particularly around the cross, is because for all the times we've heard it, this generation, millennials, Gen Z, are scripturally illiterate. We do not know. We've heard, but we do not know. <laughs> like, we do not know. And so people say to us, tell me what the good news of Jesus is, and we go, ah, bah, 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 ah. <laughs> and that's all we've got. And so this journey is important. Both it's important for the people in this room. Some of you have not heard this good news before, and it is the best news in the world. Like, if you are here in church for the first time, or you haven't been in church much, what I'm about to tell you is not one aspect of faith. This is the crux. This is the most important moment that ever happened in the history of the universe. No joke. This is it. I'm about to tell you about the most important thing that has ever happened in the universe. Isn't that good? <laughs> like, this is not just another sermon. This is the best sermon you will ever hear. <laughs> we'll see. Getting a little coffee now. But, you know, this is, like, this is the big thing. This is the big thing that changed everything. So that's what I want to tell you stories about tonight. It's the thing that changed everything and doesn't just change your life, but actually changed the universe forever. The whole way the universe functions. This is big. This is really big. All right, that's not my notes. This could go a while. It could be, could be like part two of week two, um, but that's all right. Um, and um, yeah, and so I want to invite us to be, to be born again um, tonight. Um, see, the symbol of the cross is everywhere. Like you said before, you know, it's, 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 it's everywhere. Like I say on the, the podcast, what other symbol do we put on out of pub, public torture and execution? Do we put on the sides of buildings in suburbia and wear around our necks? We don't do that. You don't have guillotines on street corners. You know, you cannot put an ISIS execution in central Wellington without parents calling up and being like, what are you doing to my children? But for some reason, this symbol of public execution has become a symbol of hope that is everywhere. What's that about? We've got to explore that, right? That's pretty unique. That's pretty interesting. And so what we think about this, if we do not know what this has done, then we actually don't know what it means to be a Christian. And when someone says, tell me about the good news of Jesus, we don't know what to say. And you know, Paul, who was incredibly intelligent, said this. He said, in the end, I resolved to preach only two things, Christ and him crucified. When he thought about everything that there was to our faith, he went to, I'm going to talk about Jesus and him on the cross. That's what he boiled it down to. So probably that's what we should talk about too. So that's not even point one. But let's get going. <laughs> big stuff. Um, so point one we talked about is the cross has God's promise to us. In Genesis 15, there is the story of this guy named Abraham, who was Abraham at the time. We'll call him Abraham. And he had a wife named Sarai. who's actually Sarah, but we'll call, we'll call her Sarah. And Sarah could not have children. And this was a big deal at the time. To not be able to continue your lineage was a huge deal for Abraham. And so he cries out to God, and God comes to him, and God says to him, You know what, Abraham? 
Not only are you going to have children, but you are going to have so many descendants that there will be more than you can count the stars in the sky. And Abraham says, yeah, cool, but we can't conceive. How do I actually know this will happen? How are you going to convince me, God, that this, your promise is actually real? And so what happened in this time is when you wanted to, to seal a promise, you did a thing called a covenant. And how this would work is basically you'd grab a cow, you'd rev up a chainsaw, and you'd just saw it down the middle. Probably not a chainsaw, but um, you would cut it down the middle, you would lay it out into a corridor of blood, and then two people would walk from one end of it to another. Now, this is not modern churches today, you know, this is kind of ancient Near East culture. And you would walk down this corridor, and then you would cut your palms and press your palms, and then the covenant would be formed. And what this would often be is it would be a coming together of two parties. So what you might have is you might have a farmer who had fruit, and someone needed fruit, maybe a warrior. And the farmer needed the protection of a warrior, and so they would come together and say, let's form a covenant, and the farmer would become the warrior farmer, and the farmer would become the farmer warrior. They would together be, be joined. And so what they would do, they would form this covenant, and then if you saw a scar on someone's hand of the farmer, you would go, I probably shouldn't mess with this farmer, because he is someone in his corner. And so this is the picture. God does this with Abraham. He says, this is how seriously I take this promise to you, as we will make a covenant, a covenant with God, not another person. Now, we flip forward a few thousand years, and the people of Israel have been promised that they would be this amazing, prospering nation, and basically what has happened is they have fallen into slavery and captivity over and over and over again. Now, like God, you said this. You said you loved us. You said we were made worthy. You said we were your children, but it doesn't seem to be showing up. And so God makes a new covenant. And rather than an animal, he sends his son, and his son walks a corridor of blood to the cross. And his hands are marked and scarred. And on the palms of Jesus says, do you know how much I care about these people? Now the picture of the cross is this firstly, is God's promise that he loves us. It's God's promise that he has covenanted to us, that whatever it takes, he is for us. If you believe in a God who thinks you're unworthy, who thinks you're perpetually not good enough, that is not the God that is written upon the palms of Jesus. This is one who has covenanted with us. And so when the world looks to Jesus, they see that he has given his life for us. Now, I remember a few years ago, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to tell a Camino story. Laugh, you want to laugh. Camino is this trek um, Anna and I did a few years ago. It's about 850k across Spain. It's an ancient pilgrimage. And one day we are walking along, and I have my headphones in, um, because you can't talk for 850 kilometres. And I'm walking along, and as I'm walking along on this kind of dusty part of the track, I start to think on the cross randomly. And I just start having this realisation, I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus, what you have done for me, what you have done for me, that you would go, that you would suffer, that you would die because you want to promise that you're for me. And I kept walking, and I was kind of getting more and more like choked up. And then we arrived at the top of this hill, and I hadn't looked up. And I looked up, and there is an 8 to 10 foot iron cross right in front of me. 
And Anna doesn't know what's going on, so all she sees is me fall into the dust and begin crying. And just like, it would have looked like some, some Old Testament shit, eh? Like, I was just throwing dust at myself. Oh, Lord, I'm unworthy. <laughs> but there was this revelation of what Jesus had done for me. And I want to extend that to you guys today, is to take a walk as we talk tonight, where you maybe end up at the cross here in our corner, and you go, oh, Jesus, how you love me, what you have done for me. I am marked on your palms. I am loved by you. I am made worthy by you. This is what Jesus has done for us. A few years pass, and Abraham has a son named Isaac. And um, God asks Abraham to do a horrible thing. He says, Abraham, take your son, this son who I said, remember I said how I made that promise to you, and, and, and you're going to have all these descendants, and you know, I've given you the son. Okay, kill him. And so he says, Abraham, you know, saddle up your donkeys, head off with your son. And they head up this mountain. And as they're going up the mountain, Isaac says to Abraham, he says, I can't see a lamb for the sacrifice. And Abraham says, don't worry, God will provide. It's kind of a sickening moment, eh? Like, you should feel uncomfortable with this story. Like, I know you're in church, but we're allowed to go, this is a bit messed up, right? So God, who has given the son, is saying, now kill your son. And Abraham heads off to do it. Heads up to the mountain, ties his son up to this block, raises a, um, a sword to kill his son. At that moment, God says, no. And out of a, a bramble, a bush next to him, comes a goat who is provided instead for the sacrifice. Now, you might hear this story, and I, I've really struggled with this story. This is a story when people want to beat up on the Christian God. It's a pretty easy mark, right? <laughs> like, that sounds like a pretty vindictive, pretty horrible God. If you are someone who hasn't been to church before and you're hearing this, I don't mind if you think that sounds like a horrible God. But you've got to know a couple of things about the context of the time. The first of these is there were this other group of people called the Canaanites at the time, and the Canaanites were really into child sacrifice. Child sacrifice, oddly, was a kind of a normal thing for following a god at the time. I know that's twisted, but it was like pretty normal. And it was understood as the greatest sacrifice that you could offer to the gods. So there were these other gods, the Canaanites, I think they had Moloch and Baal. And um, I remember hearing about one of them, what they would do is they would heat up this bronze statue, heat up the hands until they were boiling hot, and they would put a baby in the hands, and it would just be burned alive in the hands of this idol. It's really twisted. And so the thing with the story, is God, uh, is what we're saying here, God asking Abraham to kill his only son? Or is what God is doing here taking a journey with Abraham to say, look, I am not like those other gods. I don't need your child's sacrifice. And so Abraham hears God, thinks, yep, I know this score. I've done this before. We've killed children. This is how it works out here. And then at the last moment, God says, no, no, no. You need to understand my character is different. And I will provide another sacrifice so that you do not transfer this on to your son. And there's a, a passage, Matthew 13, which says, Jesus says, our God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Our God desires mercy, not sacrifice. You know, we don't follow a God who wants you to flagellate yourself and sacrifice to appease him. That's not the kind of God we follow. We follow the God who said no. Not another drop of blood will be spilled for religion. Our God hates blood being spilled 
for religion, and he hates that that has happened in his name. This is the kind of God we follow. And you know, humanity is violent. There's a guy, Dave Andrews, he's a a Catholic worker over at Aussie, and he says this, he says, unless we transform our pain, we transmit it. Unless we transform our pain, we transmit it. Now, the reality of humanity is that we are violent. We are tit-for-tat violent. When you are hit by someone, you want to hit them back. When a missile flies over to another country, they try to send one back. When someone is passive-aggressive or snide with you, you are passive and aggressive back. We live in a culture of tit-for-tat violence at both a, a personal, a local, and a global level where violence is transmitted between humanity over and over and over again. And this is the story. Now we go a few thousand years later from Abraham here, and we find Jesus, a son, who goes to the cross and allows humanity to exert all its violence, all its hate, all its vitriol, all its torture, all its perversion upon him. And it says he made no sound. And even as he dies, he prays for his enemies and he prays for those who are killing him. Some theologians say that on the cross, Jesus absorbs violence into himself. So the tit-for-tat cycle of violence, which has gone on for millennia and millennia and millennia, hits Jesus, and he is the first one who says, I will not fight back. Violence will end with me. This is powerful stuff, eh? I can remember a few years ago, um, was also when we were on the Camino, actually. Oh, dear, too. And we arrived at this place, and um, it had about 400 beds in it, but it had about three washing machines. And everybody wanted to do washing, because we all smell horrible. And so we are laying out our, um, we're we're in this line, I'm in this line, I must have been in this line for three or four hours waiting to do washing. This massive line of hundreds of people trying to use three washing machines. And everybody is getting more and more angsty, and more and more jostly, and people are starting to fight about who was in front of who. And I come to the front of the line, and I'm like next in line for the washing machine. So stoked, eh? Like, I've liked, it's like, the only thing I've waited that long for was like concert tickets. Um, and, um, and there were these two women behind me, and they were having a fight over which one of them was next in line after me, because two washing machines were about to come up free. And it was getting really, really intense, you know, it was tit for tat, it was like, you blah blah blah, you blah blah blah, but it was like, you know, in um, Spanish I think, so it was like, blah blah blah, blah blah blah, <laughs> um, very feisty. And, um, and it's going on and on and on, and then two washing machines come free, and I hear the spirit go, let them have them. No, Lord. (laughs) I am not waiting another hour and a half for a washing machine. I have been up all night. But what it takes always for violence or for pain not to be transmitted is for someone to take on suffering in order for others to move forward. That is the story of the universe. Now, get away from a washing machine and let's think about some of the stories in our nation. Let's think about Tafiti and Tohu of Parihata. Right? So the, the constabulary, the British are coming to take away the land of, of Manafinua. And they come to this land and um, they're laying down pegs every night to survey it out. They're saying, we're pegging it and it's going to be ours soon. And every night, the people of Parihaka came out and removed the survey pegs. 
And they piss them off for a long time, and then eventually they're like, all right, we're going straight military on this thing. They roll a whole bunch of people in there, and they, they assault the women, and they imprison all the men. And then the men go off to prison, and then more men come from local hapu and local iwi. And they start the passive resistance. And so they come back, and they take more, and then they take these men, and then more men come, and eventually they've filled the prisons in New Zealand. They don't have anywhere to contain this kind of resistance. They don't count on people being non-violent. They thought they were going to get to bust some kids. Instead, they have to imprison hundreds of people. And when they finished, the women and the children got up and said, take us too. What do you do with that kind of moral authority? What do you do with the kind of person who says, I will not fight back, but I will absorb your violence over and over and over again? This is what we're seeing at Ihumatao at the moment. So they are standing there, and the police are coming again and again, and they are absorbing the violence. And it's really hard to be seen on television beating up someone who is not fighting back. You know? And this is what Jesus does, as he absorbs and transforms violence into himself. I want to read a little Facebook post today from um, a guy I met up at Ihumato. And um, he says this. His name's Jay. This is Ihumatau, the Maori boy from the north who just came to frontline to face off with police. Turns out the kawa is rangimaria or peace. Turns out I don't have a clue as to what peace was. I only knew anger, rage, and hitting first. Ihumatau, every morning I wake up and I pay my respects to the raising sun and the whenua for the land that makes the people I have been blessed with a group that have taken an angry guy and taught him to love again teaching me how to be peaceful. The words of wisdom, the history of Māoridom has been a huge honour to learn about. I've sat with many wise, experienced veterans and voices of today. Every day, Ihu Mātau teaches me something new. It's a discovery of who I am in God and who he's made me to be. The beautiful Manawahine of today is something special I cannot describe. The beauty of how, how our wahine show us peace, upholding the kawa from the top to the front lines to the campus. The manatane in the front, the kitchen, to the mahi behind the scenes, the tamariki playing games and learning. It's all as it should be. We are one. Ihumatao, I will always protect you and everyone who comes from Ishi, for the whenua has given me life, family, teachings and healing. It's like the beautiful thing is that an angry guy comes into a place of peace that is absorbing and transforming violence and he is transformed. This is the power of the cross, that Jesus shows a new way our final point here so Jesus defeats death see we know that in the universe everything is subject to decay like do you ever have that thing I don't know if you're like me but like I don't put on a white shirt in the morning because I know past the source will fall from the sky about a second and a half after I get out of the door <laughs> everything I have breaks and gets lost eventually <laughs> Like, I cannot hold on to anything. I cannot have nice things. You know, you know that thing they say, this is why we cannot have nice things? That was written for me. Um, and, um, but this is actually the state of the universe, right? Is that everything decays. This is entropy. Everything is dying. Everything is falling apart. We know this, right? Everything breaks down. You buy the new thing, it doesn't look as good a week later as when you first got it. And it's got this chair in the corner of our lounge, which she has fixed about 40 times, and it keeps breaking. <laughs> Over and over again, we know that the nature of our universe is decay. 
We know that our sun has a shelf life. We know that our climate is dying. We know this is how the universe is, right? We know this. And so what happens is that Jesus goes to the cross and he makes a promise to us and he absorbs violence, but it doesn't end there. Because what he does is he raises from the dead three days later and he defeats the default story of the universe, that death has the final say, that everything must decay. When he raises from the dead, he said, what you thought the universe was about, what you thought the narrative was, how you thought the story ended, is not how it has to end. So not only does he walk us into new life and freedom, but he offers another way to the whole universe. Jesus breaks the narrative of death over the universe. Paul says it really well. Some of you will know this in 1 Corinthians 15, 52 to 58. He says this, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus does. He defeats the narrative of death. Those of us who are overwhelmed at the moment because we see so much suffering in the world, because we see that the climate is in crisis, Jesus is saying, death is not the final story for the climate. Death is not the final story for mana whenua. Death is not the final story for poverty. Death is not the final story for our oceans. It's not the final story for our marketplace. It's not the final story for you either. Some of you, like me, have spent time in horrible pain of, of health or mental distress. And in the heart of that, you feel like the only possible outcome is death or decay. And Jesus says, no, no, no. In his resurrection, he says, there is another way. It does not have to end that way. There is a different narrative. And when you choose to follow Jesus, what you say, as well as saying, Jesus, be Lord and friend, you say, I'm signing up for the new narrative. I don't think it has to be the way the world says it is. I think there is resurrection life. I think we can be transformed. I don't think it's hopeless. This is the source of our hope, right? That we get up in the morning, we say, decay is not the end. And we look at a person who has suffered like this friend Jay from Ihumatau, and we go, I know that you are spiteful and vengeful and angry, but I know you don't have to always be that way because Jesus has promised a narrative that is not death for you. This is beautiful, right? That changes everything. That changes everything for us. You know, we have some friends um, over in India. I'm going to change their names. Um, but I'm Sarah and Lisa. And they moved to India about 10 years ago. They're paediatricians who work with um, young people. They've set up hospitals and clinics and schools for, for children. And um, when they first arrived, they were totally rejected by the local people. Nobody wanted to know about these, these white Christians who had rolled into town. And what happened a little while after that is there was a really bad flood and a bunch of people were drowning. They ended up about 15, 20 people stuck on the roof of this place and no one knew how to swim, except for Lisa and Sarah. And so where they kind of got their mana in their community is that they swam out through the flood and rescued these 15 to 20 people. And after that, they kind of were accepted into the community. But a little while later, um, they met this young boy, change his name again, um, an abandoned boy um, by the name of Jason. Um, And Jason was really small for his age. What had happened is that um, Jason had been abandoned and he'd had a head injury. 
And that head injury needed to be dealt with immediately, um, but it wasn't, so it caused permanent brain damage on him. And so it deformed his body, um, and basically they, they took him into their home, and he will only sleep two to three hours a night. When he's awake, he's screaming constantly, um, and um, they have fought the government to adopt him. And the government does not want them to adopt him. And the government, they, they went to a, a doctor, and the doctor referred to Jason as a piece of meat. He said, just leave him in the streets. The narrative of death, right? And so they fought and they fought, and the, the government came to them for bribes. The government came through their schools and their clinics and sexually harassed their staff. The government came over and over again while we were there, actually a crew of us helping out. We had to hide in an upstairs locked room as the government did a surprise inspection. And everything is saying the narrative is death. This went on for three years. And they're praying and praying and people all around are praying and praying that this kid will be adopted, that he'll be held by these mothers who love him. I want to read you another Facebook message. This is from um, Lisa. She says this. Drum roll, please. May we introduce formally and officially... After 1,290 days, after first holding our little bean in our arms, we finally did it. Jason is adopted by myself, but will continue to be loved and co-parented by both of us, two very proud and weepy mums today. He has not just got a village around him, but an army of people who have loved him and us and encouraged us to keep going in our battle to secure Jason's life. You guys have loved our little boy like your own. Let us rant and cry and we couldn't have done this without you. Too many people to thank, but you know who you are. Our whole family are overjoyed, emotional, exhausted. This is one of the happiest days of our lives. Death has been defeated, right? Death has been defeated. This is what the cross unlocks. Death is defeated. That the people and the places which the world has given up on, Jesus has not given up on. He has not given up on. And so to, to come to close, I've gone a lot longer than I should, but Jesus' death on the cross is his promise to us that he is utterly committed and in love with us, and he wants to know us. Jesus' death on the cross is where he takes all our pain and our sin, absorbs it into himself, and transforms it so we can live a way of peace. And thirdly, Jesus raises from the dead to break the default story of the universe. That death and decay does not need to be the only way and we can have hope. And that is the greatest story ever told. And so in a moment we are going to, to worship. As we do, I want to put those three things in front of you. I want to invite you to come and fall afresh at the cross. <coughs> And to think about what this means, think about what Christ has done for you. I want to invite you to fall afresh at the cross and think about how Jesus has absorbed violence and transformed it. I want to invite you to fall afresh at the cross and know that the story of death you may be living or you may see in the world around you is not the end. That Jesus has defeated death.